Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Family Church in Ohioville, Pennsylvania. We pray you are challenged in your walk with the Lord through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly Family Church or to subscribe to our free podcasts, please visit us on the web at cafamily.net. Well, I thank you, Father, for this opportunity that we have this evening to study your word. We do so in the precious and holy name of Jesus, thanking you, dear Father God, for your Holy Spirit to give us ears to hear it, hearts to receive it, and minds to be open to it. Most importantly, change us by what we hear from glory to glory. Conform us to the very image of Jesus that we can become that for which he has apprehended each and every one of us. That we might shine his lights in a world of darkness, holding forth the word of life to this generation as salt, light in the world, dear Father God, carrying out the purpose of your will. Father, be glorified in all that is said and all that is done. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise God, amen. We're talking about the Holy Ghost on Wednesday nights. Holy Ghost power. Thank God for Holy Ghost power. Amen. I don't know about you, but I thank God for the Holy Ghost and all His working in our lives. I know in mine personally. So uh, we're talking about the fact that redemption involves the work of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Father planned out our redemption. You could say Jesus worked out our redemption. And the Holy Ghost carried out our redemption. And He makes it a reality within our lives. So in the beginning in the Old Testament, the, Holy, uh, the Father God had his part to play dwelling on earth among men. And then Jesus came and he dwelt on earth among men in a physical body. And the Old Testament was in the temple and the Shekinah glory was in the Ark of the Covenant. But then in the New Testament, praise God right now, thank God, on the day of Pentecost, the Spirit of God came down and found a temple. And each and every individual person there in the upper room, 120, had the fire of God come upon them. And they were never the same ever again. Has the Holy Ghost come on you? Has the fire of God come on you? Change you from the inside out. Praise God, you'll never be the same ever again. Thank God for Holy Ghost fire and Holy Ghost power. And we said there's a twofold work of the Spirit in the life of every believer. There should be at least. The Scriptures teach it. It's, it should be easily seen. I don't understand how people can miss this. Especially when you read Acts chapter 8. And you find out that Philip went down to the city of Samaria, preached Christ to them. The people gave heed of the things that they heard and they saw. Him preaching with power and might. People that were being delivered, set free, healed, casting out demons and people getting set free. There was revival in that city. And the Bible says, and then they believed it and they got baptized in water and they were saved. Thank God for that, right? But they said that's not enough. They sent for Peter and John. When they came down, they prayed for them that they would be filled with the Holy Ghost. The second full work. So the first one is the Spirit of God baptizes us into the body of Christ. We become children of God and imparts to us what? The divine nature of God. It's easy to say that. But you really think that through? You've got the divine nature of God on the inside of you. When the Holy Ghost came inside you, praise God. You know what He did? He made you God's masterpiece. Your workman, His workmanship. Workmanship actually means masterpiece. Some translations translate it that way. You are his masterpiece. Hallelujah. Isn't that wonderful to know? You're special. He made you, handcrafted you by the blood of Jesus. That's why you are his masterpiece. And how is that manifested or evidenced? We could say the fruit of the Spirit, the nine fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, meekness, temperance, and faithfulness. And each and every one of you is perfectly Developed in all those fruit. Am I right? Perfectly developed? Right? Uh, you're on your way to being developed. 
Okay. Those are the nine fruit of the Spirit, right? But you've got the divine nature on the inside of you that's in your spirit. Man's a tripart being, spirit, soul, body. With the spirit, he contacts the spiritual realm, deals with the spiritual realm. Right? And we understand that conscience is the voice of the spirit. Right? That's the real man, the man on the inside, the hidden man of the heart. The real man. But then man is a soul. He has a soul. That's comprised of mind, will, emotions, and intellect. He touches or contacts what realm? The emotional realm, the mental realm, you could say. And reason is the voice of the soul. Reason sometimes get in our way, doesn't it? We try to reason things out, rationalize things out. Can you reason this out? Walk around the walls of Jericho for seven times. On the seventh day, do seven more times. And then this shout and blow the shofar and the walls will come down. What a military strategy that is. Reason can't figure that out. But you know what? If you do it in obedience to God, those walls are coming down. So reason sometimes will get us out of the will of God, out of the mind of God. Trust the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. Mind, will, emotions, intellect can get in the way. Now, the third part of man is what? His physical body. And the physical body contacts the physical world that we live in. And that, of course, involves the five senses. What we see, what we hear, what we feel, what we taste, what we smell. The five senses. And, of course, we have to use them to navigate through life. And we understand that. But what's the voice of the body? Someone knows it, right? Feeling. I don't feel. Feelings can get in our way as well, can't they? We can feel like God doesn't really love us, but he does. Matter of fact, he loves you so much, you were worth dying for. Isn't that good to know? Someone who says, I don't feel like God really cares about me. I don't really feel like God loves me. You were worth dying for. And he died because he not needed you, but he wants you. He wants you to be a part of his royal family. He wanted every single one of us. That's why he sent Jesus to do what? To die for us. So do we believe in this powerful work of the Holy Spirit that he took someone like you and someone like me who on the inside was dead, but thank God I'm alive now. What about you? Are you alive in Christ? He made you his masterpiece. He made a deposit of the divine nature of God, placed it on the inside of you. You become that new creation. All things passed away. All things became brand new and everything is of God. And now in Christ, you have within you, in this jar of clay, the glory of God. Amen. You've got the Shekinah glory of God on the inside of you. Fire God came down on you. Okay. Now, the second work of the Spirit in the life of every believer, and it should be every believer, although many contest it for some reason. I don't know why. The second work of the Spirit is to be filled with the Spirit or to be baptized in the Spirit. Remember what um, Paul said in Acts 19 to the people at Ephesus? Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? Whoa, Paul, what do you mean? I thought if you were saved, you already got the Holy Ghost. He said, no, no. Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? They said, we've never heard whether there be a Holy Ghost. Isn't that something? They never heard that there be a Holy Ghost. Could have been much preaching about the Holy Ghost then. Well, what were you baptized unto? John's baptism. Well, yeah, he baptized under repentance, but he said there was some coming after him who wasn't, he wasn't worthy to unloose his, his sandals. And when he comes, he's going to baptize you with Holy Ghost and fire. Okay. So what happened? He got them baptized in water. They were saved. And then the Bible says Paul laid his hands on them. 
Paul didn't baptize them. He made it very clear in, in the book of Corinthians that he didn't baptize but a few. And it wasn't them. And so he said he laid his hands on them. And when he did, they all got filled with the Holy Ghost. And spoke with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. In the Jewish camp we see that happening. In the Gentile camp we see that happening. And so we see a twofold work of the Spirit of God. And what is the evidence that one has been filled with the Holy Ghost? Well, it's clear. Power and gifts. The main one being tongues first. And then the doors open to all the gifts. Jesus said in Acts 1.8, you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come on you. He's telling that to believers that are already born again, his disciples. And 120 as well were in the upper room. And so there's a twofold work. Power came on them. And then in Acts 2, 4, they all spoke with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. That was the initial gift of the Spirit. And then in Acts chapter 10 at the house of Cornelius, here they are Gentiles. And the Spirit of God falls upon them while Peter's preaching the word. They get, they get saved and then they get filled with the Holy Ghost. And how do we know it was the same? Because Peter said he came on them as he came on us in the beginning. And he knows that they were filled with the Holy Ghost because he heard them speak with tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So we see a twofold work of the Spirit of God. And what about this one? Do you realize every New Testament writer was both born again and filled with the Holy Ghost and spoke with other tongues? Every. Peter was. James was. Paul was. Paul says, I speak in tongues more than ye all. His southern accent. Right? Absolutely. So I ask a question. How come the church of today doesn't understand this? Or can't see this? It's very clear. It's as clear as can possibly be in scripture. As anything else is. But for some reason, religious tradition blinds people's minds. And they cannot see or understand or perceive the truth. It's the Spirit who opens up our eyes and gives us understanding. First Corinthians chapter 2 makes that very clear as well. We say, well, why is this so important? Why is this so valuable? We're going to see that in a minute, but before we do, look at John's Gospel chapter 14, and this is Jesus preaching, and he's preaching about the Holy Spirit before he leaves the earth. Before he leaves the earth, he's telling his disciples, look, I'm going to leave, I'm going to go away, but look, even though I'm going to go away, I'm not going to leave you helpless. For if you really love me, you will obey my commands, and I will ask the Father, he will give you another comforter, in the Greek, paraclete, counselor, helper, intercessor, advocate, strengthener, and standby, that he may uh, remain with you for how long? Forever. The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive. If the world can't receive this, this what he's talking about, that means a person can receive him as Savior, but they're not going to receive the fullness of the Spirit. Welcome, take to his heart, because it does not see him or know him and recognize him, but you know and recognize him, for he lives with you and constantly and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans, comfortless, desolate. I will not leave you bereaved, forlorn, helpless. I will come back to you. How? In the person of the Holy Spirit. Now imagine they're walking with him all these years. They're talking to him all these years. They're watching him all these years. They're close to him all these years. And now he's raised up from the dead. You know, before he sends them out into ministry and he tells them about the Holy Spirit again. Don't leave without him. Okay, so he's letting them know. 
He's coming in the person of the Holy Spirit, the third person of deity. This is his time. This is his dispensation. And when he comes, what's he going to do to you? Comfort you. Isn't it good to know that a time of need, we have someone to comfort us? And you know what, beloved? It's time that the church realizes that he is ever present to do that very thing. To help us, to alleviate, whether it's fear, anxiety, worry, even when it comes to grief. He's there to provide comfort for every single one of us, no matter what it is that we're facing in this life. It's important to get to know him as a comforter, especially when you're facing situations that are very difficult, trials, tribulations, and etc., etc. To know that we can be at a place of comfort, fearless, overcoming all the temptations for us to maybe not even believe that God's there for us. But the second thing he said, he's your counselor. Would you agree with me that it's not always easy to navigate through life as we live on this earth? We need to know the mind of God, the will of God, the direction that God has for us. So as a counselor, he's going to offer us the kind of advice that we need. And what advantage points the Holy Spirit has? He knows the beginning and the end. He can see beyond what we see in this natural realm. And so he can advise us based on what? Future revelation of what's going to take place down the road. See, sometimes it's easy for us to say, I should walk this way, I should step that way, because that seems the most logical thing, the most reasonable thing for me to do. And he says, I know that, but don't go that way, because you see, down that way, I know the end result of going down that that road. And so, therefore, he advises us to go this way, and we go, this doesn't make any sense to me. But you see, he sees the end of that road, and he knows what's at the end of that road. We don't. So we take his advice, we take his counsel, and we follow what he tells us to do. You see, he knows the beginning and the end. I remember when I was uh, told to go off to school, Bible school and all that, to leave Youngstown, Ohio, to go to Tulsa, to come over to Midland. Did you know it's closer to go from Youngstown to Midland than from Youngstown to Tulsa to Midland? That would have been the easiest route, right? But that's not what he said to do. Go the other way. Why? Because he has a plan. He has advice. He has counsel. This is what needs to be done in order for you to succeed in fulfilling the will that the Father has. So he's there to be a counselor. The third thing is he's there uh, to be our helper and one who assists us. A helper doesn't do it by themselves, but he helps us get the job done. He's there to assist us in whatever we need. And I love it in Isaiah 41 verse 10 when he says, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, I am your God. Yea, I will strengthen you. I will help you. And I will, notice, strengthen you. I will uphold you with the right hand of my righteousness. That word helper in Hebrew, it's like this. I will assist you and provide for you whatever you need. But if I don't have it, I will make it for you. Don't you love that? He's made a promise that if he doesn't even have it, he'll make it for us. So we can know that he's right there. So he's our Comforter, counselor, helper. He's our advocate. You know how important it is to have an advocate as we navigate through life? What's an advocate do? He speaks up on your behalf, does he not? When Andrew was in the hospital for the length of time that he was, Krista was, and I was, his advocate. More so her because she spent more hours there than I did. And sometimes in one time in the evening... He had, she had to speak up for him because one of the nurses was going to give someone else's medication to Andrew, which could have been very detrimental to his life. And she said, wait a minute, wait a minute before you do that. 
See, he spoke, she spoke up on his behalf. And that's what an advocate does. The Holy Ghost will speak up on our behalf. Thank God we have representation. Amen. There to speak up on our behalf. There to be, to represent us. Thank God for an advocate. And then, he's our intercessor. He's our intercessor. One who stands in the gap, makes up the hedge, who pleads our case. Thank God we don't have to go at it alone. Even in prayer, we have the Holy Spirit, which we are told, who will do what? Pray through us the perfect will of God. You know, prayer is very important. And when we think about praying with groanings in Romans 8 that it says that cannot be uttered, we've got the Holy Spirit on the inside of us that will help us pray beyond our understanding. And this is so important when it comes to the ministry of the Holy Spirit. We are limited, finite beings. We only know so much. Even if someone tells you, well, so-and-so is going through this and it's a difficult situation, we need to pray for them. So we pray in English and we just say, you know, Lord, whatever. I bind this spirit that's behind this, or I take authority over that, and whatever. But we're still limited in our understanding of what needs to really be done in the spiritual realm. Are we not engaged in spiritual warfare? Do we not have enemies that are out there raged against us? Yes. But in Romans chapter 8, it says, The Holy Ghost will take hold together with you, enabling you to pray out the perfect will of God as He joins forces together with us. Which is why one of the most important facets of tongues is a devotional prayer language where you're praying out, groaning out beyond your understanding and ability and tapping into the realm of the Spirit, praise God, touching that spiritual realm by the Holy Spirit, bringing this to light before the throne of God, and He takes over and helps us pray something through that we sometimes never see or, or understand or know. And there are times where you may get a revelation of what you've been praying for or prayed about, and you'll understand the victory, and sometimes you won't. But you'll be satisfied from within because you'll know you have a release in your spirit. I prayed the thing through, and I know that God is manifesting His power and His glory in that, life, in that person's life. So we've got now the intercessor. And then we've got the two S's. The strengthener and the standby. Strengthener, what does strengthen mean? Makes strong, Right? Aren't you glad that you've got someone living on the inside to make you strong? In what way? We need to be strong mentally, do we not? Don't we have to have a right mindset? Gird up the loins of your mind, Peter said. He put it that way. In other words, gear up to make a right choice and decision. It may be a hard one to make, but just get your mental faculties ready to make a right choice or a decision in your life. Because the decision that you make might be hard to follow through on, but you're going to persevere how? In your own strength? No, no, no. You've got the strengthener. He will strengthen you uh, mentally. He will strengthen you spiritually with courage. And also in physically. Samson understood the power of the Holy Spirit, even physically on him. David understood it when he killed the lion and the bear and Goliath, did he not? Sure, there's the power of God. The strengthener is living where? On the inside of us. So we're not doing it in our own strength. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. And how does he do that? By the power of the Spirit within. If you were really, really thirsty and someone offered you a half a glass of water, would you take it? I think you would. But if they told you there's more where that came from, you can fill it up to overflowing and get as much as you want. Would you take that? That's what it's all about. You've got more of the same of God on the inside of you. In the new birth, you have the new birth. But when the Holy Ghost comes, the same Shekinah glory that fell in the temple, in the Ark of the Covenant, 
And they saw the glory of God. They saw the fire of God came, come down. It's the same thing that came down on the day of Pentecost when he filled each and every one of them and those lives were transformed. Now you've got a strengthener on the inside of you and me to strengthen us in a time of challenge, in a time of difficulty, in a time of whatever testing and tempting that the enemy brings our way. We've got the strengthener on the inside of us. And I love this last one. You've got the standby. Mm, glory to God. Now, if someone was, let's say, annoying you who was six foot seven. 275 pounds, okay, and just annoying you to no end, and you could have me stand by. Or the Holy Ghost to stand by. Who would you choose to be your standby? What does a standby do? He's loyal to you right there, and you could depend on the fact he's right there, he'll be loyal to you, and he'll Take up your cause. Thank God for the Holy Ghost. Now, you put that together, you can talk things over with him. Uh, and he's going to be there for all those seven manifestations of the word, the Greek word paraclete. It means all that. Thank God we have a comforter, a counselor, a helper, an advocate, an intercessor, a strengthener, and a standby who is loyal to us, who will take our part and see to it that he assists us in whatever we need. Wouldn't you say it's pretty good to get to know him? Amen. Now let's look at some things that Jesus said about the Holy Ghost. In John's Gospel, I believe it's chapter 16, beginning at verse 7. Some of the things that Jesus said about the Holy Ghost. Once again, he's instructing them before he leaves to go back to glory. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient, profitable, advantageous for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. Well, did he follow through on his promise? He sure did, didn't he? He said, look, I've got to go because if I stay here, I'm just going to be basically in one place. I can only be at one place at one time. I'm limited to the body that I'm living in. So it's more profitable or beneficial to you that I go away. Because if I go away, then this temple, I'm going to, re I'm going to leave this temple, I'm going to go to glory. And then it'll be glorified. And then the Holy Ghost is going to come. And he's going to inhabit each and every one of you. And you will become the temple. The same anointing that was on me will be in you. The same glory that was on me is going to come into you. You've got the glory of God in this jar of clay. This earthen vessel. And so, thank God on the day of Pentecost, that's what took place. So it was profitable, he said, beneficial for you that I go away. So it's more so the fact it benefits us for Jesus to go away than actually be right here with them. Now, I'm sure they couldn't understand that because he went on to say, there's some things I'm going to say to you that's hard for you to understand right now. You can't logically think that through, reasonably think that through. They were thinking in terms of the short term. Man, it'd be better for you to be right here, Jesus. But he said, no, no, I'm going to go away. And when I go away, I'm going to send you the Holy Ghost. He's going to come into you. And he's going to come into the world. And what's he going to do when he comes into the world? Well, let's read on. Look at the next verse, verses 8 through 10. Here in verse 8, he says when he comes, he's going to reprove the world of sin. If we can pull those up, Paul, if you can. And of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin, because they believe not of me. Righteousness, because they go to the Father. Judgment, because the prince of this world is judged. In John 16, 7 through 10. So, he says when he has come, he's going to reprove the world of sin. 
That means he's going to convict or bring conviction to the world of sin. Righteousness because I go to the Father. Of sin, righteousness, judgment. Of sin because I believe not on me. I'm righteous because I go to the Father and you see me no more. And then of judgment because why the prince of this world is judged. Okay, so let's kind of break that down. What's the job of the Holy Ghost when he comes to the earth? To reprove, convince, or convict the world of sin. How important is this work or ministry of the Spirit? Let me tell you how important it is. If it were not for that work, you wouldn't be sitting where you're at right now. If it were not for that work, you would not be drawn to the Father and to the cross of Jesus Christ. I was a very religious person when I was growing up for 24 years of my life, but I was not born again. Oh, I went through the whole thing of church. I went through the whole thing that you had to go through. I, was, I did everything I was told to do for many, 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 many years, but I was not born again. One day someone came along and told me, you must be born again. And I said, how can I go back into my mother and be born again? You must be some kind of Jesus freak or whatever. Okay, can you understand where I'm coming from? I've got my own religion. Don't bother me with yours. That was my first attitude, my first response. Well, thank God for the Holy Ghost being patient because he sent someone else along and said, do you know you must be born again? I didn't say, should you go, you know, should I go back in my mother's womb and be born again? I didn't say that, but I said, really? What are you talking about? I said, why don't you just be what I am so you can make heaven? He looked at me and just said, really? Well, why don't you get your Bible dusted off? How about that? Told me to dust off my Bible. That's on your coffee table. Open it up to John 3, 3, read verses through, through 7, 3, 3 through 7. And tell me what it says when you come back to work tomorrow. Well, I rolled up my sleeve and I was just as proud as a peacock. I got my big old, big old family Bible out, dusted, of course, off real good because I never opened it. Opened it up to John 3 and 3, read through, through verse 7. It said, surely you must be born again to enter my kingdom. My jaw fell open. I was floored by what I saw. And it wasn't much longer after that that the convicting of the Holy Spirit, the convicting power of the Holy Spirit came on me. And he drew me to the Father. He drew me to the Son. He drew me to the cross, to the blood of Jesus Christ. And I'll tell you what, what a difference it made in my life. Because you see, I left religion for reality. I made Christ the Lord and Savior in my life. I was born again. Had the life of God in me, the love of God in me, the nature of God in me, the promises of God fulfilled within. I was excited beyond words. I had a joy unspeakable that was full of glory. But I wasn't filled with the Holy Ghost. So I, long story short, I left that church, went to a full gospel church, said, I really want more of God. I want more of God. I want more of God. I want more of God. They said, come up here to the altar. I got on the altar. I knelt down. They said, you want the Holy Ghost. I said, I do? Really? That's what I want? He said, yeah, you want the Holy Ghost. Long story short, I got filled with the Holy Ghost, spoke with other tongues as the Spirit of God, gave utterance, and received the gift to teach the Word of God uh, all at the same time. Manifested himself like a burning fire in my tongue. I'm telling you, it was all God. Sometimes people will say, well, how can, how can you remember the scriptures? How can you know the scriptures like that? How can you quote the scriptures like that? I don't know. School was hard for me. You know, it didn't just come easy for me. But if I would read the Bible, chapter and verse just stuck right there. I just, it just went on the inside of me. That is the power of the Holy Spirit to take a life and change it, to impart to it a gift that comes from above. So how can you take any credit for anything that you do when you're doing it by the power of the Holy Spirit, and He gave you the power to do it. So you can't take any credit for it. It was only God that did that in my life. You know, so the Holy Spirit has a ability to draw people to the Father in a very loving and kind way. 
And he drew me. He convicted me of sin first. I was consciously aware of the fact that I was lost. I was to the point of sweating bullets. I knew how lost I was. And I, I would go to bed at night as a young teenage boy. I don't want to be lost. I don't want to go to hell. I would cry out. And I didn't know why I was doing it. But you see, he's done that to every single one of us, whether we recognize it or not, or whether we realize it or not. The Holy Spirit has drawn us to the cross. He's drawn us to Jesus. He's drawn us to the blood. Thank God for the Holy Ghost to reprove the world of sin. But then secondly, of what? Righteousness. What does that mean? To let us know that righteousness is available. He reproves the world of sin because they believe not on Jesus. He didn't say because they weren't religious, but they don't believe on Jesus. And then he, he does what? He reproves the world of sin, righteousness. He lets them know there is righteousness available. So even though you reproved of sin, there's righteousness that you can have. All you've got to do is to come to Christ. He made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we could be made the righteousness of God in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.21 And so thank God we've become his righteousness when we've accepted Christ as our Savior. So the world is convicted of sin. Now righteousness is available to us and of judgment. And here it is, judgment. Why? Because the prince of this world is judgment. Notice righteousness comes because he went to the Father and sent the Holy Spirit to enlighten us to let us know that righteousness is available. But then the prince of this world, he called Satan, the prince of this world has been judged and judgment has fallen upon him. You see, but he's still not bound up for a thousand years. I realize that because you see, even though it's been done, it's not going to materialize or manifest until the proper season or the proper time. But guess what? The rug's been pulled out from the kingdom of darkness. As a matter of fact, that kingdom is so weak, it couldn't hold you there. He ripped you up out of the miry clay and pulled you up out of that power of darkness and put you in the kingdom of God and Satan couldn't hold you there. Aren't you glad? Amen. So the prince of this world is judged. So here's the point. Do we want to be judged with him or do we want to go with Jesus and be judged and declared righteous in Christ? Absolutely. So we have the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives and this is what he's doing for us. And he'll talk to us, he'll speak to us, he'll lead us, he'll direct us, he'll guide us. Now, as we continue our study, um, briefly here, let's look at the, the value of speaking with other tongues. Because if the church world in general understood these things, everybody would want to be filled with the Holy Ghost and speak with other tongues. As the Spirit of God gives utterance. At, in the beginning, you go all the way back in the book of Genesis and we find out at the Tower of Babel, what happened? The tongues were confounded. Well, on the day of Pentecost, they all came together as one. And God gives us a spiritual language that we can use to communicate with Him in a direct, unselfish way. And also, many things that we'll see here as this unfolds help us to achieve. Okay, number one, look at 1 Corinthians 14, beginning at verse 21. To understand the value of tongues, first of all, let's recognize the fact that there are three manifestations of the gift of tongues. Three. First of all, in the law it is written, with men of other tongues and of other lips will I speak unto this people, and yet for all that they will not hear me, saith the Lord. Wherefore, tongues are for a sign. What are tongues for? A sign. So there are sign tongues. Not to them that believe, but to them that believe not. But prophesying serves for them that believe, not for them that believe not, but for them that believe. So we see, number one, he mentioned sign tongues. And so... It's important we understand that there's more than one manifestation of tongues. There's sign tongues. It's a sign for someone 
who doesn't believe like on the day of Pentecost. You know, they heard them speak in their different languages and it was assigned to them. Okay. And then number two. Well, let's look at Acts chapter two, beginning at verse five first. And let's read these scriptures. And there was at dwelling at Jerusalem, Jews about men of every nation under heaven. Now, when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because that every man heard them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? And how hear we ever men in our own tongue wherein we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and the dwellers of Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and, and, Pontus and Asia, uh, Phrygia and Pamphylia in Egypt and in the parts of Libya about Cyrene and strangers of Rome and Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. And they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, what meaneth this? Well, what does this mean? And if you read on, you'll find out that everything here was designed to bring people to Christ. This is what was prophesied by Joel, that I'll pour out my spirit in the last days. These things were going to happen so that people could get saved. Sign tongues is when the Spirit of God gives, gives the people of God the ability to speak in a language that people understand that they don't understand, but they understand what they're saying. And it serves to them as a sign that God is at work in a powerful way. They knew they were unlearned men. Isn't it something how the scripture we read it, it says that God chose to use the foolish things of the world to confound the wise? So here's these unlearned people. It says they were unlearned. They were untaught. They were untrained. They didn't know. They didn't have bilingual abilities or anything like that. But guess what? They're speaking in all these different languages. How? By the power of the Holy Spirit. Now God did a work in their lives. And these people now believe. What happened as a result? 3,000 people got saved. Isn't that what it's all about? So it was a sign. This was a sign for these people. And I'll be, I'll be honest with you. We've had that happen. It's been happening modern times as well. It's, it's happened in different church services and all that, where people have heard people speak in their language. Number two, ministry tongues. Look at Acts, look at First Corinthians chapter fourteen. Ministry tongues, and this is why people get confused about the manifestation of tongues. Ministry tongues. Paul is speaking, and he says, "I would that you all spake with tongues, but rather that you prophesied." For greater is he that prophesieth than he that speaks with tongues, except. He interpret that the church may receive edifying. Now what's he saying? Speaking in tongues without interpretation, giving a tongue in a church service without interpretation doesn't edify or build up anybody in the church because they don't know what you're saying. So this is called ministry tongues, where someone may be gifted in ministry tongues that has to be interpreted within a church service to do what? To edify or to build up the church. So that's another manifestation of tongues. Same gift, Holy Spirit, same Holy Spirit, but different manifestations. And then we have the third one. So you've got ministry tongues, but now we've got devotional tongues. Devotional tongues. And this is the primary use of tongues. And here is where the church has become weak. Devotional tongues are key to generating miracle working power and enabling us to have a direct hotline to the throne of God. But yet, because the enemy has deceived people into thinking that it was of the devil that they've shot away from it and they're doing without it within the average, like I said, Christian community. Now, what I 
when I told people that I was filled with the Holy Ghost, spoke with other tongues, you know what I got? That's of the devil. That's of the devil. You know what I said? I said, I played the guitar as I was growing up and I learned how to play in, I played in bands and that sort of thing. I played in some crazy places. I played for bar mitzvahs. I played for wedding ceremonies. I played, played for class reunions, which really get rowdy. I played in bars and I played here and I played there. And I said, I'll be honest with you, I played in some territories where there were drugs uh, being uh, bought and sold and, and there were guns on the table and all that. And all that mess, the devil never let me speak in tongues. Not once. I went to church, a reputable church that's been there for many, many, many years. I got saved, I got filled with the Holy Ghost, I spoke in tongues, and now I'm of the devil. The devil gave me something in church that he couldn't give me in a bar. What's wrong with that picture? You know what I mean? I couldn't get it. But you see, the devil will fight people tooth and nail. Why? Because he does not want them to understand the importance or the value of it because it's too powerful and he can't stand it. And so he has fought it tooth and nail to see to it that people are not uh, praying in, in the Holy Ghost and so on. But look at this in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 2. And uh, 14 and 15. For he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men. Paul, are you messed up? Are you contradicting yourself? He says, no, you're, it's a different kind of tongue. Because you see, in the sign tongue, you were speaking to men in their own language. Were they not? Yeah, but this isn't the sign tongue he's talking about. He's talking about devotional tongues. You're not speaking to men, but unto God. For no man understands him, howbeit in the Spirit he speaks, what? Mysteries. Look at verses 14 and 15. And Paul, if you don't mind, while we're looking at this, if you could bring that up in the Amplified in, in, after we read this in the King James. For if I pray in an unknown, unknown tongue, who's, what's praying? Not my mind, not my understanding. No, my spirit prayeth, but my understanding is unfruitful. What is it then? I will pray with the spirit and pray with the understanding also. I will sing with the spirit and I will sing with the understanding also. Now, if you could do that in the, King, in the, in the Amplified, that'd be great. Because it gives you a little bit more. For if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit by the Holy Spirit within me prays. But my mind is unproductive. It bears no fruit and helps nobody. Then what am I to do? I will pray with my spirit by the Holy Spirit that is within me, but I will also pray intelligently with my mind and understanding. I will sing with my spirit by the Holy Spirit that is within me, but I will sing intelligently with my mind and understanding also. So he is not in any way discouraging people from praying or singing in the spirit. He's just giving an understanding of it. In that whole chapter 14, he's talking about Things are to be done decently and in order. So he's giving us a revelation of how we can have these three different manifestations of tongues. But we have to understand their use. Now to be honest with you, why is he doing this at the church of Corinth? Because they were crazy. They were abusive. They were the ones that hung from the chandeliers and all that. You know what I'm talking about? Everyone got up with the tongue. Everyone got up with the interpretation. This one, that one. Everywhere you go, that's all they're doing is using it. And we say, wait a minute. Things are going to be done decently and in order. And so he gave them the order and explained to them how it should be done. That's what that was about. 
not discouraging it. He said, I pray in tongues more than... If he prayed in tongues more than the Corinthians, when did he have time for anything else? Okay. So it's important that we understand he was not discouraging it. He was explaining it. Now, not everybody, when he says, does everyone speak in tongues? Then the answer is no. Not how. Sign tongues? No. Everybody have a ministry tongue? Ministry? No. Can everybody speak in tongues devotionally? Yes. Yes. Everyone can have that manifestation of the Holy Spirit in our devotional life. Why? Let's look at some other reasons. And we'll just quickly go through this. The church has denied itself this powerful tool that will help the church succeed in fulfilling the mission that the Father has. I'll tell you something else. It, it generates the kind of power that we all need to live successful lives. Okay, number one. It's the initial sign that we've been filled with the Holy Ghost. There's no time to read through all this. Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 10 make it very clear. In the Jewish camp and the Gentile camp. Is there another camp? Not that I'm aware of. There was the Jewish camp back then. There was the Gentile camp back then. Acts chapter 2 is the Jewish camp. And God did this, not man. That was the, the advent of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. They had nothing to do with it. It was all God. They got filled with the Holy Ghost. And what did they do? Spoke with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. We come over here to the, to the Gentile camp. Right? Cornelius, the centurion of the Italian band. And what happens? Peter preaches to them. And while he's preaching, the Holy Ghost falls on each of them, and what happens? They get filled with the Holy Ghost, and they speak with other tongues, and prophesy, or they magnify God. And Peter saw that when he thought Gentiles couldn't even get saved. Well, God pulled one over on him, didn't he? Not only did he get saved, but they spoke with other tongues by the power of the Holy Spirit. So we got the Jewish camp, initiated by God. We've got the Gentile camp, initiated by God. What other camp is there? So let me ask this question. Should we fight with God? Who are we to say it should be another way? We should never. That's how it was with the Jews. That's how it was with the Gentiles. That's how it is today. Has God changed over the years? No. Has man changed over the years? Mm-hmm. Has men's mentality changed over the years? Absolutely. Number two, it's a supernatural means of communicating with God. First Corinthians chapter 2, once again we see this. It's a supernatural means of communicating with God. He that speaks in unknown tongues speaks not to men, but to whom? To God. And in the Spirit, He speaks mysteries. You know what that means? As we begin to pray in the Spirit, we've got the Holy Spirit on the inside of us. We're engaging Him and His ministry within. Didn't Ephesians chapter, what is it, chapter 3 and verse 20 say, that now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. Notice, ask or think. How? According to the power, the dunamis miracle working power of God that works where? That is efficiently operative where? In us. So we have on the inside of us the same spirit that raised up Jesus from the dead. We've got the quickening power of the Holy Spirit on the inside of us. Who we just read in 1 Corinthians Chapter 14, verses 14 and 15, we engage the Spirit when we pray in the Spirit. And as we pray in the Spirit, we activate His ministry within. Now we're speaking out certain things that can come to pass and materialize because the Holy Spirit will also enable us sometimes to understand what we're saying. It can come out in the language we understand as well. So we see, number one, 
It's the initial sign. Number two, it's a supernatural means of communication. But look at number three. It's a means of self-edification. It's a means of self-edification. And once again, he goes on to say, when you speak in an unknown tongue, you edify yourself. You build yourself up. In our most holy faith, we build ourselves up. But notice this. To edify means to build up. Did you bring your, your um, cell phone with you tonight? Do you have it with you? Did you bring a charger with you? Why not? It was already charged up, right? But if it wasn't charged up, it was in red, how long do you think you'd be able to use it? Is it still not your cell phone? Same product, right, that you carried with you? Have you ever found yourself where it went and got dead? <laughs> what did you have to do to it? I'm preaching better than you're shouting right now. <laughs> you had to charge it up, didn't you? Well, but I'm already a Christian. I know, but are you? how's your battery? Are you charged up? See, we need to be charged up every single day. Charge up your spiritual battery. And that's exactly what tongues does. I remember John Osteen. Remember little John Osteen? Smaller than I I'm so happy he was smaller than I am. I could actually stand next to him on an elevator and he could be only up to here on me. And I said, Brother Osteen, hallelujah, I can look down at you. <laughs> I may remember him. Joel Osteen's father. Just a fireball. Fireball for Jesus. And I mean to tell you, he really believed in and practiced praying in other tongues. He got on an elevator with this one fellow who was really just, just as offensive and all that. And he started talking to him about this. He said, okay, preacher, if you can speak this other language, let me hear you do it right now. So, you know, Brother Osteen, he just went off in tongues on an elevator, 100 mile an hour, speeding. You know, and finally when he got done, the guy says to him, that did nothing for me. He goes, wasn't supposed to. It was supposed to do something for me. And I, <laughs> he was so built up, so charged up, so edified, even more so than he normally is. See, a misunderstanding has nothing to do with what it does for you. It has everything to do with it, the other person, for you, yourself, for me, what it does for me. It's like plugging your phone into the wall, electrical outlet, and charging that thing up. And sometimes people are operating on maybe 30%, 40%, 50%. God wants us operating on 100%. Every single day of our lives, charge yourself up, be, build yourself up. Number four, it helps us pray in line with God's perfect will. This is Romans. We're not going to put them up. You can look them for yourself. That's why you have the notes. Romans eight twenty six. The Spirit Himself. What does He do? Helps us pray as we groan out in the Spirit the perfect will of God. And why is that? You know how easy it is for us to be selfish in our prayer life, our time of prayer. Oh Lord, help me, bless me. My four, no more. Just help me, right? It's, it's, this is what I want, etc., etc. Well, you know what? We can be very selfish because we're limited to what we want, what we think, what we have, etc. But, thank God, the Holy Ghost will help us bypass our understanding and start praying out some things that represent the perfect will of God. And you know what? When you and I activate our faith by doing that, It'll help us build faith in other areas of our lives as well. We spend some time praying in the Holy Ghost. Guess what? You're out of the boat now. You're walking on the water now. Because you want to say, Lord, do it this way. Lord, do it that way. I need you to do this. I need you to do that. But when you're praying in the Holy Ghost, you have no clue what you're saying. 
but you're saying this holy spirit take hold together with me and help me pray out the father's perfect will i will pray like paul said in english because i know that language i'm going to pray and i'm going to ask you what i know to ask you based on the word of god but you know what i know there's prayer beyond that and just in case i'm missing it here i'm missing it there i'm going to pray in the holy ghost i'm going to pray in the holy spirit activate his miracle power and pray out your perfect will whether it's my life or for somebody else and i'll tell you what many lives have been spared many lives have been saved because someone fell on their knees in their time of prayer and said lord i have no idea why i'm doing this but i know that you do I'm going to yield to it and praise God as they did. Some, some cases, these are testimonies that are genuine. A year later, they met up with a missionary one time. A lady was waken, awakened in the night and she prayed for this missionary. Had no idea why she was praying for him, but met him at a conference a year later. And when they got together, he said to her, I almost died on the missionary field. And she said, really, when was that? And he said about the time that it was. And she put out her, pulled out her journal. And she said, that's the same night I was on my knees praying in the Holy Ghost just for you. I had no idea who I was praying for. They were going to kill him. But through divine intervention, his life was spared. Why? Because she yielded to the Holy Ghost and prayed out the perfect will of God in that scenario. So you see, we're not any longer just limited to what I want and what I need. But now we yield ourselves to God and we're praying out for other people that we may not know it, but by faith we believe it. And we yield to it. And victory comes. Okay, next. Number five, it stimulates faith. Jude 20, that tells us uh, that we can stimulate our faith by praying in the Holy Ghost. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. Now, someone once says, what does it mean to pray in the Holy Ghost? What does it mean to pray in the Spirit? Does it mean to pray with more vim and vigor? No. It's clearly said, when I pray in the Spirit, my Holy Spirit, by the Holy, when I pray in tongues, my Spirit, by the Holy Spirit, prays within me. And so once again, we have another reason why we should be taking advantage of the ministry of the Holy Spirit and praying out things in the Spirit. Number six, it gives spiritual refreshing. Isaiah 28 says, this is the refreshing that I will cause the weary to rest. Anybody need rest? The weary can rest. And what is that refreshing? Praying in the Spirit with tongues of fire. And so if you need a, a refreshing spiritually, you might think you have to go to Niagara Falls or somewhere in Florida, lay on a beach. But now there's no excuse. It doesn't cost you anything. It's absolutely free. And you just pray in the Holy Ghost and you've got this refreshing that happens in your life. Can you say amen? All right, next one. Seven, uh, we give thanks well. I've often wanted to do this. Paul says, in the Spirit, you really give thanks. Well, say this with me. Thank you, Jesus. Say, thank you, Father. Okay. How else can we say it? We're limited to what thank you means in our own thinking. But he said, if you're sitting at the table and you're asked to offer grace, and you do it in the Spirit, you verily give thanks well. Now the others may not understand what you're saying, which is why you shouldn't do it. I'm not saying you should do it. But if you're among others that are Spirit-filled and they know what you're doing, it's okay to do that. Why? Because you're bypassing your intellect, my intellect, and we're saying thank you to Him in a language that is pure and that is perfect. 
Isn't that exciting to know? I'm really going out of the, I'm out of the boat. I'm going beyond the borders and the, the bounds of my understanding. And I'm saying, thank you, Jesus, for shedding your blood. But when I do it in tongues, wow. All I know is perfection as I pray in the Spirit and thank Him in the Spirit. You give thanks well. And Paul says, I do it more than all of you. Next one, it helps us control the tongue. Not an issue for any of us here tonight. Right? Not an issue for any of us here tonight. Not at all. You've got your tongue totally under control, correct? Incorrect. James said, no man can tame the tongue. So, when you're tempted to say to somebody, I want to give you a piece of my mind, just go off in tongues. Perfect. And when you get done, it was perfect. It will help you control the tongue. It's either that or duct tape. Take your pick. That or duct tape. And number what? Eight, nine. Edifies the church when it's interpreted. We read that. And number 10, activates the Holy Spirit within. We read that. But look at the last one. Generates miracle working power. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 17. He tells us that we are to not be drunk when wine were as an excess, but be being filled with the Spirit. This is the will of God for all of us. Be being filled with the Spirit. How, Paul, speaking to yourself in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart unto the Lord. So, be not unwise, but wise, knowing what the will of the Lord is. And what is the will of the Lord? Speaking to yourself. How? In tongues. Why? So that we can generate miracle-working power. Be being filled. It's not a one-time situation. It is a continuous situation. So we are constantly being filled. The Greek means be being filled, be being filled, be being filled. Have you ever driven somewhere at a great distance and you maybe put your Siri, who has a hard time of hearing, on for directions? And so you know how quickly it, it just causes your battery to go down if you're getting you know, directions like that? So what do you do? You keep it plugged in. Why do you keep it plugged in? To keep it charged up. Well, guess what? You want to keep charged up in the Spirit, in spiritual things? Keep on praying in the Spirit. Keep on praying in the Spirit. Keep on praying in the Holy Ghost. I'm telling you, you can get so lost in the Spirit, praise God. See, that's what happens. And these are just some of the benefits of praying with tongues. So the thing is, the devil doesn't want the church to know this. Because as we pray for revival, as we pray for our president, as we pray for our vice president, and for the congressman, and the Supreme Court justices, and the list goes on, and the body of Christ, and as we pray for our youth, and we pray for revival, and we pray for all these things, do you really want to be limited to, Lord bless our president, Lord bless our nation, Lord bless Israel? Well, thank God for that. But there's so much more we can accomplish if we say, Holy Spirit, take hold together with me. Help me pray out the perfect will of my Father.